Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have upbringing, which is going to be an amazing conversation. They're a movement. Hannah and Kelty are twins, coaches, and speakers behind the parenting movement upbringing, holding BAs from Stanford and certified in simplicity parenting, positive discipline, and trained in nonviolent communication and foundations of R-I-E, pronounced Rye. They empower parents across the globe to show up and grow up alongside their kids when it comes to navigating daily conflict. Hannah and Kelty's top-ranked podcast, coaching programs membership community call parents in with humor and vulnerability, giving them permission to align their personal values with their parenting practices in the name of sanity and social change. Hannah and Kelty co-parent on a parcel of land outside Portland, Oregon, that they share with their partners and kids ages 6, 7, 8, and 9. This twin duo was a powerhouse of parenting and perspective. It was so much fun to get to know them and to learn from them on all things regarding conflict and parenting. I am so excited to share this episode. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I'm super excited to have these two amazing people on. We got Hannah, we got Kelty from Upbringing Co. And it is just, we're going we're gonna to rock your world a little bit today. Because I don't think enough people are talking about this. And uh, I don't want to steal the thunder. As you always know, I like to give the opportunities to the guests themselves. So Hannah, Kelty, can you introduce yourself to the listeners so we can get right into the conversation and kind of rock their world a little bit? Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. We're happy to be here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm Hannah. This is Kelty. We're twins. We like to introduce ourselves, I guess, twins, moms, tired ladies, parent coaches, speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? We're pretty tall. I don't know how else we describe ourselves. <laughs> um, what is, what's but- it considered pretty tall? We're six feet. I'm six two, so we're, okay. we're 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 in this together. That's pretty tall. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So. Um, yeah, and we're the the two folks behind upbringing, which we like to call a movement um, that empowers parents to practice powers beyond control with their kids for what we call sanity and social change. So it helps parents find ways to approach conflict with their kids and between their kids in ways that align with them, right, with their values. And that also raise kids who can go into the world with security and the ability to manage conflict and meet their needs and other people's needs in really productive, magical, amazing ways. Mm. How would you say, Kel? Would you add anything? I don't know. I think I'd just like to say that we talk about it on our podcast. We have an online community that we love working with people. We do one-on-one coaching, just about all those things, like all the the hard stuff, which we try to look at as the good stuff, um, mostly around, like you said, hand, big feelings, challenging behaviors, conflict. That's what we love talking about. And, you know, I know it's kind of a, maybe an obvious question, but as, as moms and as parents, um, what pushed you into this direction of, of doing this to help others versus just being normal moms and parents, like just going through life? Mm-hmm. I think it began with trying to help ourselves before we helped anybody else. Um, and I think it began when we became parents. So I had my daughter and then about six months later, Kelty had her daughter. Two years later, I had my son. Six months later, she had her son. And we realized that our kids' temperaments uh, were very different from one another. And especially once they grew to toddler age and started really coming into their own and resisting us and showing up really just beautifully and boldly in our lives, we realized that our toolbox that we were using, the way we were responding, didn't feel so good. And it Mm. didn't feel good to us. And it didn't really feel that great to our kids. Uh, And we kind of, it took us on this journey of, of, really like a, a knockdown drag out, like self growth, personal growth crusade. Right? I love that you said what yeah. pushed you. And I was like, we mostly were dragged kicking and screaming by, <laughs> by our sensitive and spirited kids into this intense personal growth work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we learned, the more courses we took, the more trainings, the more we read, the more we workshopped all of this stuff between ourselves, the more we loved it, the more we felt a connection to it. And the more we wanted to support parents and their sensitive and, and strong-willed kids who are really struggling out there, mm. I think that we realized there was a greater purpose too. And I think that's the sanity and social change we always talk about. And so we realized that parenting this way and thinking about how we connect with our kids when 
we have the toughest moments isn't just to make it easier on us or on them, right? That that sanity, just getting through the day. It's not just to raise a kid who go out in the world and, you know, survive, even thrive, right? It's also to make greater social change that that the way our kids go out there has uh, an impact, you know, the power and privilege that they hold is going to affect not just them, but other people. And so mm-hmm. as, you know, white, straight, uh, privileged ladies, we felt we had also a responsibility in some ways to say, what are we teaching our kids? Are we teaching them control to be controlled and to control others? Are we teaching them to connect, to understand themselves and to understand others? There's, there's kind of a, a greater purpose here besides just being with the kids we love and getting through the day. Yeah, I love that a lot. And, you know, you mentioned before about the idea of aligning with values, you know, and and kids being different. It's so interesting. You know, I have two little kiddos. I have uh, my daughter, Ricky, as I call her, Rickster. Uh, and I have my little dude, Max. And we had Ricky and it was one of the hardest first years of of. For us, it was difficult. And she was amazing. Comparatively to my son, her (laughs) temperament, the way she slept, how well she was eating, breastfeeding, everything went smoothly. My son has rocked our world in a different way. He doesn't sleep well. He has tongue tie issues. His temperament is a lot more whiny and needy. And we thought we got things in control. We're like, oh, yeah, first kid, we know what we're doing. Second kid, we're like, oh, my God goodness. And I'm a parenting specialist, you know, trained as a therapist. I work with parents. It's something I'm very passionate about as a father. And as there, the fact that there are not a lot of men in the world of parenting, helping give perspective and a place for moms to look to, to help their, their men and men to look to, to help themselves. And I, I love what you guys are doing. Cause I think it's needed. And the more accounts we have talking about parenting, the better. And there's something that I was talking to my wife recently about how lucky we are to be in a day and age where there's so many resources because our parents just didn't have them. Not that they were bad at parenting. They just didn't have the access. There's mm-hmm. books, there's resources, there's experts, there's specialists, there's coaches, there's therapists, you know, everything. So we just have so much at our fingertips. And, and the question I have about the idea of values, um, and this might be a broader conversation and, and an idea of when you talk about values, are you trying to connect to a kid's values or your values and who decides what that value is? Mm. That's such a great, a great question. And I think, well, I think first, I think it's great that you mentioned the idea that we're really lucky and we're lucky because we have more information out there these days than we ever have, which can be very overwhelming. But I think we're also lucky. And I think you're really lucky too, Ellie, because because you had a son that is challenging you in these particular ways. And it's something Kelty and I talk about a lot is reframing our mindset from saying that I'm somehow cursed because of this, you know, more temperamental or more sensitive child that, that I have. But what we like to reframe it as saying, oh my gosh, we're so blessed to have children that have basically pushed us to grow in ways and to align in ways that we never thought we would need to do. It's like a mass conspiracy parenting. None of us knows what we're walking into. None of us has any of the skills necessarily, or maybe we even do like you, right? Before having kids and it's still hard. We don't necessarily have the support, right? And so going about this in a way that's like, oh my gosh, this is like a really exciting adventure can really be a great place to start. And then I also think with the alignment, what we tend to say is we have these beliefs as people, you know, these these goals, these values. I want my child to... And I want to be, you know, um, uh, using nonviolent communication with my friends and my my neighbors. You know, I want to be practicing consent with everyone in my life. You know, no means no. My body is my own, right? We want to be um, uh, honoring diversity and um, promoting, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion in our workplaces and other things. And I think so much of what conventional parenting asks of us and what has conditioned in us is the opposite of all of those things. The way that we're programmed to treat our kids is a way that is very anti-consent. For example, we do things to their bodies without asking them first, without informing them, without getting an okay or understanding them, even understanding what's going to happen, right? We um, navigate conflict in very top-down ways, in in punitive ways, rather than the ways that we like actually value as adults, right? Um, what would be another example, Kel? Can you think of one? 
Basically I mean, everything. It, we is, call it we yeah. call it the the unconscious hypocrisy of mm-hmm. modern parenting. And I think that that's what we started realizing. And we we acknowledge that a lot of other parents get that feeling as well when they're just reacting to their toddlers and their kids and their adolescents and realizing. I I sound like the man or I sound like that politician that I'm so against. Oh my gosh, what role am I holding in the home? Our homes are an institution, right? And do we want to be perpetuating other institutions that we disagree with as progressive folks, for example, or do we want to be dismantling those institutions from the family up, basically? I love that. And, you know, I'm an Orthodox Jew and I grew up in a very family-oriented, loving and accepting culture where it was about the other and kindness and charity and and things that are considered more progressive, let's say, in like the societal political world, when in reality is something that we we just we value every day as as the way I grew up. I can't make generalizations for for all religious people that I'm not the speaker for Judaism um, or any other religion, um, and I don't need to be. I'm, I'm okay where I am. And it's just an interesting thing how sometimes I see and hear um, parenting specialists or, or, or coaches and, and experts, the idea of these values, and I sit back and go, I've always had these values, and I love that good values are trying to be pushed and taught as parents mm. to to create an environment of a home. Oh, and I think that the majority of parents do have really good, great values and really good intentions for their kids. I think where the, the kind of mismatch is, in, is the approach in how we move through expressing those values and how we essentially teach our kids. And I think that Conventional discipline essentially undermines all of the mm-hmm. values and intentions that we have for our kids. And we don't even know half the time, most of the time. So right? could you talk about that? Because I was going to ask that question, yeah. actually. So mm-hmm. thank you. Like, what are those day-to-day things that parents might, you know, be unaware of the the the, the disconnect from yeah. value to practice? I mean, just talking about the, the practice in itself. <clears throat> Kids learn by the way that we teach. And culturally, we've been kind of inheriting this, what we call the control toolbox. So when our kids challenge us, when they resist, when they've got big feelings and big behaviors, um, we react using this toolbox that we probably experienced um, growing up that um, is you know, very prevalent in our culture, which is the control toolbox. So we've made kind of an acronym for that, but it's consequences on my terms now threats, rewards, overpower, lectures, and then shame, blame, spanking, timeouts, all the normal stuff that comes to us when we feel helpless, when we feel powerless, when we we need to, to get our needs met, when we need to get our expectations met, right? And I think it's really tricky because our kids learn the control toolbox when we use it. So our kids can't learn empathy when we shame them. Our kids can't learn problem solving when we send them to their room and isolate them. Our kids can't learn compassion when we yell, right? And so if we're using these tools, that's what they're learning. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so tricky about that's That's an, an example of the misalignment a little bit. I, I, first of all, I always get frustrated that I don't have cool acronyms for like anything that I believe or like my, my <laughs> system. So I love that you have uh, acronyms. Well, anachronize whatever you need. We love. Oh that. yeah. I made that word up, but yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. Cause I therapize people and that's not a real word either. So I'll send you all my ideas and you'll just make, uh, you know, <laughs> acronyms. No, but I, but I love it because, you know, I have a few examples of, of, uh, different things of, of, of terminologies and ways we refer to our kids. Uh, my daughter recently, um, walked out of the house and went next door to our next door neighbor who we trust. And their kids come to us. We go to them. It's like this very free for all, which we love that our house is open. And so is theirs. Uh, And we're new to this community. We moved uh, to Vegas in the summer. So uh, it's been here for about six months, seven months. I can't do math. So it's been some time. And my my wife freaked out, freaked out because couldn't find our daughter. Don't blame her. Um, I wasn't around. I was uh, around the corner at my in-laws with my son. And, uh, we told, and we found her. She was next door. Everyone was safe. Um, and we didn't yell or scream at her because that wasn't going to solve the problem. She was fine. She's like, hi, mommy. 
She's like, <laughs> my, my wife dropped to the ground, was crying. She's like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm playing with, you know, and it was fine. We told my mom the story. Mom goes, how come you didn't yell at her? Right. Just that. Mm-hmm. That was the response. Right. Now, my mom does not yell at my kids. She yelled at us. She doesn't yell at the grandkids. Right. Mm-hmm. That removed. But the, the assumption was you should have yelled at her because mm-hmm. that was dangerous. And yeah. we were like, that would not have helped her. It would have scared her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certain terminologies and thought processes like that. And even, for example, I love the way you guys use your words. I'm very into terminologies and words and how we use them and what they mean. Um, the idea of, I hate when people say terrible twos, mm-hmm. I hate the terminology mm-hmm. of terrible twos. Like terrible even twos the, the, means my child has hit an age that I no longer understand how to exactly. support Exactly. It's and, called and, unskilled and parenting, basically. It, it doesn't mean that they're not a struggle. It doesn't mean that they're not a challenge, but they're not terrible. They're just, mm-hmm. and if that's our perspective, a view of them, all the more so, how are we going to relate and talk to them and deal with them? We're going to be aggressive. We're going to be intense and we're going to try to shut it down because they're terrible beings, right? That's our viewpoint. How we view it is going to create our perspective, which is going to impact our behaviors. And it's so bad. Even the way you terminology, you put, I don't know what I just said. That wasn't a word. Even (laughs) the way you put like my son, right? I do not think my son is a terrible thing. Mm. He's a challenge, but I adore and love him and would not have another child. Like I would want, I want him. You're challenged by him. And I think so much about he's not doing it. on purpose. Yeah, he's, like it's, he's a you know struggle. Oh, stuff. We get that. I mean, so mm-hmm. much about this. I love that you that you allude to this, Ellie, is reframing and considering our beliefs. And I think we have so many unconscious assumptions and unconscious beliefs that we bring in from society, from our own trauma into this parent-child relationship. And I think so much about it is saying, how can we reframe and, and start dismantling and pulling, teasing apart and challenging these beliefs that kids learn best through control, that kids learn best through being scared, that kids learn best by feeling terrible about themselves. When you actually look at the research, which is now plentiful, right? Um, Kids actually, we all actually learn best in safe psychological environments. That's when our brains can actually be receptive enough to learn and to grow and ultimately make different choices next time, right? And not at the expense of our relationship with our caregivers or our relationship with ourselves and our own self-concept. And so I love that you responded. You were like, wait, what's the most productive thing actually that I could do to respond to my daughter in this situation? Oh, it's to create psychological safety, right? And security so that she's receptive enough in relationship with us to understand why that, that you would rather her not do that and what to do instead. And then I also think this brings up the topic of our power and privilege as parents, which another unconscious assumption is that kids owe us good behavior, kids owe us obedience, and kids owe us, you know, we say it once and they do it, right? But they're not robots. They're not dogs. They're little human beings with partially formed brains, right? And so I think very often you're exactly right what your mom said our child does something like leave the house or draw with a marker on the wall or do something like that, that goes against our expectations and goes against our needs. Right. And we decided that it was on them that they should be accountable or responsible for what they did. When, when we actually consider the the weight of the, the power and privilege we hold as parents, we have to realize that the accountability is on us actually in those moments. I'm so sorry. We say, instead of you should be sorry, that you left or whatever it is, you could say, I'm so sorry that I left the front door unlocked for you to leave. I'm so sorry that I don't have a little alarm on the door or that I was scrolling on my phone or that I had to go do this other thing and didn't have eyes on you. And so that's another huge reframe is saying, who's responsible for what happens in our homes when these conflicts happen? It is not the little people who are being cared for by us. It is us, the people who are caring for the little people, right? Yeah. And just to add to that, and I love it. And then we'll get to the main topic of circle, the circle of parenting is the idea of, um, I just spoke with someone last week about this, how, when we either overreact as parents or behave in a way that is not ideal, and we're always working and trying better. And we use this line of, if you didn't do this and that, I wouldn't have had to yell, scream, raise my voice threaten all those things, right? What that makes 
the atmosphere is you're the problem and I'm only reacting because you made me do this. When in reality, you're a freaking adult. Act like an adult, be aware of your power, be aware of your strength, and be aware of the softness that you can create. And if your kid is having a tantrum about going to take a bath, pay attention. What's going on? What are they saying? How are they doing? Is it that important right now? Can we make any way easier, right? Not you're causing me to scream because that puts a lot of pressure. And I think, and I'm not trying to say this in a, in a bad way, but I work with so many people who grew up in the 80s and 90s right now where a lot of their people pleasing and self-doubt and anxiety and confidence issues and depressive thinking, I'm not blaming parents. It's just the upbringing and environment that they grew up in. Oh, yeah. And I think you can so totally bad. blame parents, Ellie. I think you can absolutely. <laughs> you sucked, guys. And, and just as we're sucking right now in a, so many ways, our parents suck too and parents before them. And every generation is doing a little better. Mm-hmm. And I love that you that you talk about this idea that like we can feel so helpless when we're with our kids. You know, None of us knew what we were getting ourselves into here, right? None of us knew, oh, you have to, uh, are you willing when you become a parent to become a housekeeper, right? Who's cleaning up things all day long, making beds, doing that. Oh, do, will you also be a chef, a short order chef where you're making things all day long? Will you also be a medical advocate? Will you also be an emotions coach and therapist to little people? Like the job description goes on and on and on. And none of us knew we were signing on for this essentially, right? But I think in these moments, so much about the opportunity, what Kelty and I call the opportunity to show up and grow up alongside our kids is realizing those moments when we put the responsibility and accountability on them instead of us, that mm-hmm. we don't have to do that. And we don't have to feel shame about having done that either, because I think most of us, like you said, grew up in environments where we had very little personal power and authority in our lives, where all of the answers and all of the control was held by other people, and where we basically learned a sense of helplessness in our own lives from a very young age, that we can't make changes. And so I think that then we come in and we're like, I'm the parent, but I'm also still feeling like the child. And so I'm a child blaming my child, right? Mm. And so I think that that's the opportunity without any shame is saying, how can I start showing up and growing up and saying, what is my responsibility? I can get my needs met and my kids' needs met. It doesn't have to be their needs or my needs. Mm. No one has to be right or wrong. I can break out of all of these rigid binaries that separate and disconnect us and perpetuate these inherited legacies of control and shame and disconnection, right? And I can start showing up in a different way that's a little more, you know, collaborative, that's a little more creative, that's a little more curious, right? Mm. That's the work. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. We're still on that journey as well. Every day, every day. Yeah. And, you know, there's an amazing book out there by uh, Tina Bryson and Dan Siegel called Parenting from the Inside Out. And of course, I'm a huge fan of, of them as professionals and, and, and colleagues. Tina and I talk once in a while. They're unbelievable human beings. And the reason why I love that book and suggest that book to so many parents, either colleagues, friends, people who are just reaching out on Facebook, Instagram, like, hey, do you have a suggestion for a book? Is because we forget that we need attention too, right? We need stuff that we have to work through and understand as well. We're not perfect beings. We never will be. But if we don't understand who the hell we are and how we go about our day, if we don't figure out how we were parented and how that has an impact on us and how that translates and comes through us to them, we are very misguided and pretty delusional in that way. And, and I want to kind of, you know, jump in on, on the beautiful ideas uh, that you guys talk about so wonderfully. And uh, you have this concept of the circle of parenting, and I really would love for you guys to kind of dive into it and and give kind of backdrop of what the theory is, what the ideas are, and then we can kind of, you know, get in the nitty gritty of, of what it means practically. Mm, yeah, thanks for that that kind of setup. I think you you really allude so well to that idea of that we're growing up alongside our kids, that our needs weren't met as kids, and now we're having to meet our kids' needs, and that this parenting situation is an obligation and it's also an incredible opportunity to heal, to heal our own wounds, to figure out as we're, uh, you know, identifying our kids' needs, what are our needs as well? As we're helping our kids, we're coaching them to say what their needs are and what they're okay with and not okay with. Can we be learning to say that at the same time? It's not either or, it's both of us. And I think Kelty and I started realizing that as we were moving through challenges with our kids, they 
they kept happening, right? Uh, we always say in parenting, there's always tomorrow or five ni- minutes from now. Mm-hmm. We started realizing that we could be thinking of this as like a groundhog day where it's like, it just happens over and over. The I monotony. thought I fixed it. I thought we did some conflict <laughs> resolution on this. It is not feeling resolved. Right. Oh, What's I th- happening? I thought I solved this problem by saying, do this or don't do this or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And we started realizing that that's not actually how personal growth and relationship growth happens. Mm-hmm. It's less of a binary single line point from A to B. Um, and it's it's not linear. It's actually more circular and cyclical. And that in parenting, the beauty actually of the monotony of things happening over and over and over again is that you have the opportunity to build and to grow and to improve. You have the, you can notice patterns, right? Mm-hmm. That your kids do that you do, and you can actually start working on them little by little. And so that's kind of how we develop the idea of this kind of conflict revolution. Instead of thinking of, of challenges with us and our kids or our kids with one another as something to solve, like a problem to solve, we kept thinking of it being like, that, you know, that usually leads us to, to focus on behaviors and fixing and changing behaviors. Mm-hmm. We, we, are trying to move our minds to think of it as a circle of constantly evolving needs and a process, an evolution of being in relationship and identifying needs and seeking to meet them over and over again. So rather than focusing on the behaviors and trying to control the behaviors, which is really impossible to do, most of us have probably figured out controlling our kids' behaviors is really tricky. And the research also shows that it's probably not ideal because it's shutting down the root cause of those behaviors, which are feelings and needs and really human, lovely, wonderful, magical things. We can focus instead on those needs, mm-hmm. on that root cause and say, how can we just start having conversations when competing needs or mismatch needs arise? Mm-hmm. And it's an, an idea that doesn't really come to us very easily when we think about talking with our two-year-old in this way. Or a four-year-old or a six-year-old or eight-year-old, that's our adultist perspective. We're like, oh yeah, I've got my nonviolent communication hat on at work with this coworker or with my neighbor or in therapy with my partner. But it's really hard to think that our kids deserve and are actually incredibly capable and willing to engage with us in this cycle of basically preparation, presence, processing, preparation, presence, processing. We'll call it the three Ps. And we just keep going around over and over again, offering connection instead of control. And we don't do it perfectly every time at all, but we just keep getting better at it over and over, little by little. And then do you know who else who gets better at it? Our kids. They start getting really good at it too, identifying what their needs are, identifying what other people's needs are, communicating what those are, and figuring it out. We call it compassion, um, curiosity, and creativity. That's a circle within the greater circle of moving through a challenge, being like, we're not wrong. You're not terrible, right? There's nothing wrong here. I don't have to criticize. I don't have to be confused. I don't have to correct. I can actually just offer compassion to you and me. I can get curious about what our needs are and how to get them met. And then we can get creative on how to meet those needs. So that's Mm -hmm. essentially the circle. Have I described it pretty well, Kel? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And I I love that. And, And, you know, I think going back a little bit, I think one of the biggest struggles that parents have with giving in or or letting go of, of these old viewpoints is fear of losing control. Right. Oh, like what does my three-year-old know? They're three. Like mm-hmm. something I say very often to my clients that I work with is I might be a specialist and expert in a lot of things, but I'm not in you. Mm-hmm. I don't know you yet. And even if I work with you for 10 years, there's so much that I don't know. I only see you once a week, once every two weeks, whatever it is. We as parents are observing the outside of our kids, Mm -hmm. how they behave, how they show up, but they know themselves pretty darn well. And we have to trust them. And I think we're afraid to do that sometimes that they are the experts in themselves. And when they say they want something or need something, we have to listen. Now, sometimes it's not always practical. Sometimes it's not always possible. If my daughter asks for ice cream sandwiches in the morning, that's not going to happen. But it doesn't mean I'm not paying attention and listening. And it doesn't mean I'm going to yell at her for asking for something that she might want. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think mm-hmm. if we stop being so afraid that the world's going to fall apart, if we give up a little control, or let's be honest, a lot of control and pay <laughs> attention to our kids, it's not, oh my gosh, your kids run your household. Mm-hmm. 
that's so ridiculous. You're the parents. They shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, you know better. A lot of times we don't. And Mm -hmm. something I was going to ask you guys is how do do you suggest a parent who's starting this process to grow at the same time when they're trying to raise and help grow a, a child? How do you do that in tandem? Mm-hmm. I love that you said that um, a lot of parents moving into this kind of new way of of parenting or of looking at things or approaching things has this feeling of maybe giving in. And I think we try to urge parents to just lean in, right? Yeah. Letting go, yes, is part of it. And I think that it's so easy for us to think either we've got all the cards, we're controlling of everything, or it's permissive chaosville. And like you said, they're ruling the roost and no one gets anything done that needs to get done. And I think it's easy for us to ping pong between those two states as parents. When we want to honor our kids' freedoms and move in shame-free consent-based ways, sometimes we have to let go of things. Sometimes we have to let go of everything to preserve relationship and get through the day. And then we ping pong over to the control approach when we're like helpless, we're feeling stuck, something needs to happen. We've been over it in our minds and it has to. I think what we work with parents in kind of that middle ground, basically, between the control approach and between the letting it all go approach, how can we be working in relationship and in tandem? And that's part of the growing up process is telling our kids, whether they're two or 20, we're all growing up together. Gosh, we're struggling right now. What are you needing? Here's what I'm needing. I'm needing. What can we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you're identifying Kelsey the the three things the, the 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 options we have in any situation with our kids, which is to control, so get our way at our expense in the way that you know we're instinctually programmed, right? Or to let it all go in what we call chaos, right? Which is total permissiveness. Maybe we've undermined our authority. It could almost go no boundaries. No boundaries. It could. It, that's also a form of neglect, right? Mm-hmm. Which is tricky. We know control and and chaos are not good for kids. Research shows. And that middle way that Kelty is identifying is connection. And connection is holding what we've deemed as necessary boundaries, personal boundaries or limits on our child or or agreements or expectations, but we're doing it in a way that is connective and informative and respectful mm. and and loving. And again, mm. that's how kids learn best. You know, we're in, we're in I guess what we like to say is we're in charge, but we're not in control. And so that's finding that fine line. But I think you allude to, Ellie, the the idea that like we can't always be showing up the way we want to with our kids. It gets really hard sometimes. This is like such a conflict of interest dealing and supporting our kids in this way when we ourselves are trying to raise ourselves in the same way. It's double duty. It's a lot of work. It's exhausting. And I think we can go not just hard on our kids in these moments, but also go really hard on ourselves and be like, dude, how am I, I, I should be doing this perfectly rather than being like, no, this is progress, baby. You know, it's hard for us to, to lean in with trust instead of fear. It's hard to lean, lean in with connection instead of control. And I think that that's why part of this circle that Kelty and I have created in the work that we do with folks in our community and in our coaching is is this the the after what we call processing, which we call our circle back and realizing that we have so much power and influence as parents. And even if we can't always show up in the moment in a way, uh, what we call presence, which reduces stress, which increases, you know, learning and builds relationship and all the things we always have after the moment to to, to recondition it. And we can talk more about that, but that's kind of a superpower we really focus on, especially with parents who are new to this journey. The mm-hmm. pressure to show up perfectly in the moment is too much for most of us, right? We should not be starting in the moment being this perfect parent, right? So you talk about the idea of the three Ps. What is, I would like to do with like the preparation and then the, the circle back. Cause I think if you prepare well, you know, doing it is, 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 can be, a lot easier. And then if you don't, how do we, so what does preparation look like? Is that preparing your kids? Is that preparing yourself? Uh, and you know, a broader conversation, a broader question I have in general with parenting experts and coaches and therapists is like bringing the partner in, right? You can't do it alone, but how do you prepare? What does that look like? Well, I mean, if we think about anything that we do, let's say we're going to make a creme brulee, right? We don't just make a creme brulee and hope it goes well right? We think about the before and we think about things after. And we realize that the the ends, the beginning and the end of things can really influence and impact how our creme brulee turns out or how our next creme brulee turns out, right? Mm. And so 
just as we would like assemble ingredients, prepare the environment, look at the, you know, choose which recipe we're doing, you know, do all of those types of things. We do want to do that with our kids as well. Mm. We're in relationship with them when things are moving fast, when there are lots of competing needs and demands, our capacity can be drained. And so, so much about preparation is getting kind of a bird's eye view of a challenge ahead of time or of a situation that's coming up that we really want to to go well Mm -hmm. and saying, how can I put my mind on this and say, how can I set all of us up for success? Mm -hmm. Not just in how we feel, but maybe how we do, right? Mm -hmm. And do the best we can in that way. So preparation could look like, maybe we need a scenario about what that would look like. Maybe Mm -hmm. how about getting out of the house in the morning? Let's say it's been really hard to get our kid dressed, fed, brushed, uh, backpack on out the door. They've maybe been resistant to school. It's been tricky. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go. The morning, you know, struggle or the morning hustle, we like to say, is a huge one in our collective. It's just mm-hmm. constantly, we're all doing the work on it, right? Mm-hmm. So preparation in the morning, for example, would say, what do I need to have a high capacity to be able to connect with my kid instead of resort to, you know, controlling them? Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure I get enough sleep. I'm going to maybe set some things out ahead of time or do some things the night before so I'm not busy and unable to support my kid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to maybe mention something to my partner that they could do to help reduce my, you know, my my load. Mm-hmm. And then what what is my kid needing? You know, or maybe I'll say I need a little cup of coffee and a little bit of quiet before you know, everything starts. So I'm going to get up 15 minutes early. Mm -hmm. So I'll be preparing myself and then also preparing myself and saying, mornings are kind of a shit show. This could go sideways and that's okay. We're going to keep Mm -hmm. learning through this again. We always have tomorrow morning. It's going to keep going. Mm -hmm. And then with our kids, we think, what do they need? Okay. They maybe need some immediate connection when they wake up. So they feel seen and soothed. So I'm going to fill their cup, right? Maybe they need they uh, struggle to put the PJs on. So maybe I can prepare and they can the have, clothing you mean. Uh, or, mm-hmm. or yeah, to take the PJs off. So maybe they could sleep in their clothes or maybe they mm-hmm. have their clothes laid out ahead of time. Maybe they eat a quick breakfast that's doing something else. Maybe they need nervous system uh, regulation and to feel balanced in their body before they get in the car. So we do a dance mm-hmm. party with a song that sends us out the door. So we have some ideas ahead of time. Because putting all that pressure on us in the moment with all those demands mm-hmm. gets a little tricky. And I think that those preparation conversations with our kids can often come out as kind of, I don't want to say threatening, but like, okay, so it's been going not that great. So here's what I'm going to need from you. So we're going to be mm-hmm. quick. And you're going to do the things I need and and things will feel better then. I need mm-hmm. you to pick up the slack. I need you mm-hmm. to X, Y, Z. And how can we approach those conversations the night before that morning saying things have been a little hairy, just like all the things we were thinking. Things have been a little hairy lately. You're needing stuff. I'm needing stuff. We all end up yelling and crying in the car and it just hasn't been feeling good. What can we do? Right? What do you need from me? What can make the morning feel a little smoother for you? What can we cut out? Do you want to not have to empty the dishwasher? That seems like that's a, maybe a little too much for in the morning. What else can we do? Do you want to shower and wash your hair night before so you don't have to do that in the morning? It's just one more thing, you know, so we can have those conversations to prepare with our kids as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and then, I, I, yeah, oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, please, please, you, you, you. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and then everything doesn't go well, or maybe mm-hmm. things go a little better, right? And then that's mm-hmm. when we have to circle back. And so I don't know if you wanted to comment on the what we call the circle up. That's the preparation process. Yeah, I think the circle up is so important because what you're doing is you're including the person who is doing it, right? Which is the kid, right? Um, my daughter needs certain things in the morning. I'll give an example. This morning, usually she wakes up between 6, 6.45, depending on the day, how she slept. And, uh, <laughs> lately she's been running into our bedroom and snuggling. Um, she never picks me. She picks my wife. It's okay. My wife's better. It's okay. I love her. Um, there's a good reason she picks her. And this morning she didn't wake up. She woke up at, I had to wake her up. So she wasn't, didn't have as much time before school started to like physically just get up. She was groggy. She was tired. Everything moved a little slow this morning. And I had two options. I can either pay attention to where she's at, ask her what she needed, or I can force the normal routine that we have in a shorter time. Now, a lot of parents would force the normal routine in the shorter time. And some days I might do that. But this morning I was a little aware of my daughter and she was a little out of it. And we got to school a little late, later than normal, Mm -hmm. let's say. But it wasn't a fight. And I think 
It's awareness. I think the biggest thing is awareness and big picture. Like take a step back and look at your kid. What do they need? That's what preparation is, is general awareness and planning. It's using the executive functioning that we have that our kids do not to help say, we are overseeing all of this. This is our Mm -hmm. stage play. We're the, you know, production person. Let's figure out how we want this to work so that skills can be built. Relationship can be maintained. Sanity can exist, right? The goal is sanity, right? In these moments. And I think that the we ha- we're programmed all to think I have to be consistent. I have to be consistent, right? And that can be at the expense of learning and of relationship. Mm-hmm. And also, it can be creating a negative association mm-hmm. around a self care ritual or a morning transition that we actually want to be creating positive associations mm-hmm. around. Because again, back to the safe psychological space for learning. When we have positive associations around something like morning routine, our kids will feel and learn and do better. But I think it's really, really tricky. It's super, super tricky. We got to go easy on ourselves and our kids and think of all of these things as kind of an experiment that we're mm-hmm. going on, right? And so, you know, if you are yourself are on the journey, right? And you're figuring out and you're, you might come to this fruition and, and, and I'm not here to call out dads versus moms right now, but I just know firsthand as a dad, I know firsthand as a therapist who works with couples Moms are usually the ones who are researching, doing all the work, kind of going to these support groups, going to coaching, going to therapy, doing the research, and they're kind of bought in. They're like, this is what we're doing. We love it. How do you include your partner who might not be against it, just might not know it? How do you have the conversation with, hey, I think we're going to switch things up a little bit? How do you Mm -hmm. approach that conversation to have them part of that circle and involved? It's so tricky. And I mean, we kind of left out the circle back as part of that whole thing. But I think like, like, we're going to get there. Don't worry. We're going to get there. What if everything went haywire or we tried, or we had a kind of unaware morning, the opposite of what you had and pushed everything through. And we were just had our head down and we're in the grind and we made everything worse and it didn't go well. Right. How can we have that conversation first with ourselves in this kind of circle back moment, not the grill back that we all grew up with, which is, I need you to make a better choice. That was terrible. You're a bad person. It's self-talk or to Mm -hmm. our kid. What were you thinking? What were you doing? I need you to do better next time. All of these things, but really uh, give ourselves a little bit of grace and compassion, have that moment of building awareness for what happened and how we would maybe want to approach it differently next time. Have that conversation with our kid. Gosh, we had that circle up before, but this morning I just, I wasn't aware and I ended up pushing you through. I think you were a little tired and I'm really sorry if I was a little bit curt. I'm really sorry that I kind of moved your body through the door and didn't give you the time you needed. I'm really sorry that I was prioritizing the school time versus your time. And I wish that it had gone differently. And I'm mm-hmm. going to try to take some deep breaths next time. I'm going to try to ask you what you needed a little bit more. How did it go for you? We open up space mm-hmm. for them to share what was crappy. We basically reconditioned the space, safety, 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 safety. Mm-hmm. And then we might have a third conversation, not just with ourselves and not with our kids, but with our partner who may have been there, who may have not been there and said, this morning sucked. This has been a pattern. I need support. I don't know what that is, but I need some help figuring that out. I need you to be checking off five things from the kids in my list, or I need you to please bring me coffee or make me breakfast. Mm -hmm. Or What are you willing to do to help our mornings go smoothly? Because it's not feeling good for any of us Mm -hmm. right now. And I think that even getting on the same parenting page can begin with a conversation just about a crappy morning and the pattern around it. Well, and I think just with our partners, I mean, this is a a subject for an entire other podcast conversation Mm -hmm. with you, Ellie. It would be so fun to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love talking about getting on the same page with with our co-parents. But I think it's saying we have to create the psychological security for our partners, just like we do for our kids. If they're going to be receptive enough to listen to us and to learn, right? Baby brain, child brain, husband brain, They're all the same and that they need to feel in relationship to make changes in their lives. And so again, that takes the pressure out of the moment. We don't have to talk to our partner in the moment about all the stuff they're doing that bothers us or what they're doing right or doing wrong. Or we circle back later for screaming at them. We we don't want to grill back later, (laughs) right? No, we don't need to grill back, right? We just want to circle back with them. So that is, again, our superpower, not just in our parenting with our partner, but in our parenting with our child. And I think people listening might be thinking, this sounds so permissive. This sounds so just like, talk, talk, talk. Let's just have a conversation Hold about so it. Hold so much space. Let's just be in connection with each other. Let's be in relationship. How do we get and, stuff done? But when you think that is how you get stuff done, mm-hmm. having conversations about needs over and over and over is the fastest and deepest and surest way to get stuff done with our kids. 
And it actually is teaching them such fundamental life skills, right? And it's, you know, right now it's about toothbrushes. The obstacle in the morning is toothbrushing. But when we help them understand what their obstacles to toothbrushing is or what could help them feel better to do better in the morning, we're giving them life skills to do the taxes or to call their mother-in-law or get their butt to the gym, right? And the same thing goes with the circle back later. The work we're doing in conditioning a safe environment around things, choices that were made. We don't even say mistakes. We just say choices that were made and things that happened, right? Helps them feel safe enough to come to the table. They get compassionate about themselves and others, to get curious about themselves and others, and to get creative for themselves and others in the future. So these are serious life skills that we're talking about in the morning routine or in the bedtime routine or in the dinner routine or in the sibling challenges, that it's a patterning that that we're giving and a conditioning that we're offering them and ourselves that they're going to use and apply to all the adulty things that they're going to mm-hmm. be going through someday. So it's an incredibly valuable investment in mm-hmm. not just our relationship, but in their life skills someday. And we can't always do it, but when we can, it's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. I need to have you guys on again. We're running out of time. And I, and I, like, I have so many other questions and the way you guys put things is so beautiful. Um, and so important. And I think parents are so scared to uh, um, to make changes, um, but our kids need it. It's our, it's our, it's our responsibility. It's our burden um, to, to do it for them and for their future and for, for our society's future. So, you know, and the, the last thing I like to ask a lot of people and I, um, is what would be two to three takeaways if you didn't have a chance to say it or you want to get a point across? that you might've said it in, in vague terms or what would be three things that you would hope someone who's listening can have three actionable takeaways? I mean, I would say, I don't know if it's an actionable takeaway. I'm going to do quick three and then Kelty, maybe you have this quick three, but Ooh, it's, our responsibility. Awesome. It, it's <laughs> our responsibility. It's our burden, but it's our opportunity. So again, it begins with our beliefs. We have to flip this hard shit into like magical stuff as soon as we mm. possibly can and keep trusting in that process. And then I think starting small would be the next thing I would recommend. When, when we feel so, I mean, it's not just the morning routine, it's all the other things. It can feel really overwhelming to make this huge shift in our parenting and we don't have to make a huge shift. This mm-hmm. change in the circle, it just starts with a small little circle. It could just be breakfast. It could just be getting shoes on. It could just be a tiny little circle, right? That we engage with on our, with our kids. And that's the beauty of the, the evolution of these circles and these talks and these connections we have is that they start growing and they start mm-hmm. picking up momentum and moving into other things. So just start small with something that you feel that you can do. And again, start on those outsides with the circle up or the circle back. And you don't worry about the circle in right away. Just notice what goes on in the circle in maybe like mm-hmm. in those moments. How am I showing up? How's my kid showing up? Think about it later. Don't worry about it. Take the pressure off in the moment. And then I would say the third thing is, remember that we're not supposed to do this alone, right? We're not supposed to do it perfectly. We're also not supposed to do it alone. And so finding community um, like our collective, like so many other communities, and even po- listening to podcasts like this, which is so amazing, it helps us remember that this work should be done collectively, that mm-hmm. that's the beauty and that's the opportunity of it. And that's what can be so revolutionary mm-hmm. about parenting this way is if we're all doing our, our best to be supporting our kids and growing up alongside them in this way then that's what they can eventually be doing for the people in their lives. And that's how social change happens. So whatever motivation you need to be doing this work, whether it's, you know, uh, it's an opportunity reminding yourself and having some helpful mantras or whether it's starting small so you don't feel overwhelmed or whether it's remembering that you're not alone and that we're all messing our, you know, failing forward here on this. um, Hopefully that can give you kind of a starting point to just Mm. have this feel a little bit safer because if you feel safe about parenting this way, then you're a lot more likely to learn stuff and, and show up in ways little by little that feel better and do better. I love that. Delta, we got anything from you? Yeah, I've got a couple. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I think one thing that we kind of touched on a little bit is just to try to shift our belief around our kids' resistance. And Mm -hmm. you spoke about it as well. Let our kids' resistance be the roadmap, be the reminder, Mm -hmm. checks our power and privilege and says, honor this little person, honor their needs, seek to understand them and their experience. And I think that we look at resistance automatically as just unhelpful, worrisome, terrible, but can we look at our kids' resistance and that whatever those behaviors are as information and a bid Mm -hmm. for information, if we can even just hold that with us a little bit, 
it, it's going to make change in our homes. And I think the the last thing you kind of touched on, Hannah, is gosh, we've got so much pressure on our plates as parents to perform and to get it quote unquote right. And I think when we take that pressure off and say, like we said earlier, we're all growing up together. Can we not Mm -hmm. doubt ourselves, but question ourselves and get really practiced at saying, why do I believe that? Where's that coming from? Is that helpful? What's the impact of that? Right. Mm. And I think that when we can give ourselves that kind of grace in questioning our practices and questioning our assumptions and our expectations, we can kind of imagine ourselves on this journey, less like a staircase, like up two stairs. And then I screamed and slammed the door now down Mm -hmm. three stairs and thinking of this sort of like punitive binary system of like, I'm doing pretty good. And then, oh, now I'm not. And thinking of our parenting journey more as like being on a stream. We're always moving forward. We're always growing and evolving in that circle, right? Is the stream a circle, Hannah? I think it is. Okay. (laughs) There's no waterfall at the end of it. Don't worry. (laughs) Thank you so much for your beautiful perspective and, 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 and vision for parents as a whole. That is so helpful. I really got, got to have you on again, uh, to talk about, you know, the other specialty you guys bring, which is the conflict of, of siblings and how to create that other revolution. Um, maybe even rebellion, you know, Mm -hmm. against, against the, uh, the idea of uh, how we deal with that. Um, I know we've dealt with it and we're dealing with it. And I know plenty of people in my community that deal with it every day when there's two, three, seven kids, how many kids there are and how you deal with the the people. But thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your work. Uh, I appreciate your energy. I appreciate what you guys do. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This is so much fun. It was a real treat. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist, and it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics, and really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.